Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, this episode of the Loose Heads podcast. I'm a former Loose Head, as it happens. Uh, David Flatman, it's my pleasure to be a guest on this week's podcast, which I've been insured by the guys isn't going to be shambolic. And as, as I always say to any, any the host of any podcast I go on, if you let me do 97% of the talking, we'll all be all right. Exactly. Hello, everyone. My name's James, your co-host as well. And uh, we have Rob Shotton, who is the co-founder of Looseheads, on here. Uh, I, well, Flats, look, you say shambles. I have a copy of your book here. I wanted to just actually intro you. That's a shambles. And just give people listening uh, i actually haven't read this yet my my fiance got it from the uh, sports book awards for free um but uh david flatman played rugby as a prop forward for saracens and bath between 1998 and 2012 making more than 270 club appearances uh, and also winning eight caps for england after retiring from the game he moved into career in broadcasting working for channel 5 itv bt sport and amazon prime um, welcome, Flats. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. No problem. I'm also going to give this book a read. Uh, we actually have a couple of adverts you know, that we, uh, we promise. Um, do you do your ads then? You sell outs? Yeah, we, we got we got some ads. We got some ads. Um, Rob, let's start with Days. Yes, let's. So Days is a non-alcoholic beer, 100% beer, 0% alcohol. Brewed in Scotland, B Corp certified. 2% of the sales go towards progressive mental health initiatives. They are beer for doing, and it's great for active people and opening up conversations. I've just got my hands on their cans, actually, and they are fantastic. It actually tastes like pale ale, which is, which is actually really decent. Um, Rob, we have a code from them, don't we? It's Lucid's 20 for 20% off. Very nice. And you saw George Cruz on Friday, didn't you? I did. And he still hasn't sent us free CBD or CBD oil. No, unfortunately not, but it's in the works. George Cruz, what a man, by the way. We did some filming with him on Friday and that went down really well. But yeah, 4-5 CBD. They are a CBD and vitamin brand created by professional rugby players, of course, George Cruz and his other co-founder, Dom Day, after suffering injuries during their career. They are the official wellness provider to Leicester Tigers and Saracens, and they're available in high street retailers such as Boots, Next, and Tesco. And they've given us a discount code. It's LH20 for 20% off over at their website. It's www.45.com. I like the way you do ads. We've got some free stuff from them, and we got some free stuff from them. <laughs> I like the way you do ads. <laughs> Whereas like, I'm, now, I'm now at a point where... I put a video online yesterday, right, um, about this gadget in my kitchen, and I've got like Premiership players like pesting me on DMs. I got one lad saying, "Can you get me a deal? Can you get me a deal on that as well?" I'm like, I didn't get a deal, and the other like, "Oh yeah, freebies!" Everyone's hammering me. I got one lad from Bristol saying, "Well, he's left Bristol now, but he's like, how much do you pay for that, brother?" I'm like, "Mate, I paid for this thing. I paid for it." <laughs> But the bloke is such a nice bloke. He's like, any chance to do a video? And I'm like, oh, I could do, I could, could do. And it was like, that was like six months ago, four months ago. And then he's like, really help if you could. And I'm like, okay, mate, I'll do a video. And everyone's, I just get, I just There's get a lesson now there. for plugging freebies. It's like, pay for that, mate. No, you're, no, the no. thing is, you're the, no. you're the people that give people like me a bad name, vermin. Yeah. Um, Flats, how are you out of 10? Uh, oh, good question. Um, I think probably, realistically about 
eight, seven and a half, eight, all good. That's um, pretty good. No significant issues that I'm aware of. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, I'm good. I feel I feel all right. I'm probably about a seven. I stopped fundraising for my company, which was a big win for me actually recently because I fucking hate it. I hate asking people for money. Um, and um, mm. and yeah, that's been a real game changer for me mentally because I don't have to sell my soul anymore. Rob, how are you at 10? I'm a seven, but a 7.1 rather than a 6.9. Had a few decent days. I'm actually up north at the moment. Um, staying at my parents' house, but I've got a three-hour journey back down to Bristol after this, so that's probably why I'm a seven rather than eight. Nice. Uh, I have also have to apologise for last week because our podcast what has been delayed by a week. You're meant to be episode number one. Unfortunately, now you're episode number two. But my fat dog ate the entire bins, mate. And oh my god! Oh yeah. He yeah. so he ate mouldy fruit, worse, onions. Well, he ate cigarettes, James. Until. Your dog has eaten an entire nappy bin full of shitty nappies and it's in your carpets. You don't know. So I have replaced oh, I've replaced carpets twice in whole rooms in my life. Whole rooms. Whole room had to come up under lake on because it's they turn it into liquid shit effectively. And it one house <laughs> at one house, it was like right, the new car underlaying carpet went down. And you could still, you could still smell the shit in the floorboards because the floorboards were untreated because they weren't, they were underneath underlaying carpet forever, and it had gone into the floorboards. And you, it was like, it was like a rat had died in the room, but it was old liquid shit. That is, <laughs> that is one of the worst things I've ever heard. Yeah, that's one nil flats. Oh. Um, actually, Joe Joyce last week um, said that. The uh, people only knew you, uh, only knew him because you said his name after about a hundred appearances on BT Sport, and I thought that was really nice, actually. Yes, because I think he's, um, I think he's a couple of things, uh, Joe Joyce. I think he's an unglamorous player, which is very important in the game of rugby. But he's an unglamorous player. Surround, but a couple of things. He's surrounded by very glamorous players who take, with good reason, who take a lot of the attention. The Randrandras, the Pietals, the Sinklers, the Arfoas to a point um, when he was there. Luatuas, Madigans, those guys. But I also think that he's a player who has got better and better and better as time has gone on. I, I genuinely think he is a significant. He was a good player when he was playing three or four years ago. But I genuinely think he is a significantly better player than he was, and I say that as a compliment because he is improving the whole time and I noticed I see these guys a lot live I noticed his physique changed a bit you know his upper body's changed quite a lot looks like he works hard and it's great watching players get better and better um Courtney Laws has got better and better and better you know and um that's that's not just through playing lots of games because lots of lads play lots of games and they kind of are what they are that's I was like that really they are what they are and they're as good as they're going to get really at a reason relatively early age, but I think he's getting better and better. One of the uh, one of the components of this podcast, Flats, is that each guest will leave a question for the next guest. And Joe Joyce has left you a question. Um, he mentioned that obviously you live in Bath, you play for Bath, but when you're on air, you seem to love Bristol more than you love Bath. Is that true? Uh, what I would say is that I think no, not really. I, I, I don't love any team more than I love any other team. Um, I, when I when I retired and started going into TV, it seems to have changed a bit now, which is absolutely fine. Like I, I was told and not taught, I taught myself to properly be neutral, like properly neutral. So football now you watch like 
Gary Neville is very is actually very very honest and very very frank with what he says about Man United. But it's very he's very open about who he supports. And these Carragher and those guys they're very open about who they support. I effectively for a couple of reasons I trained myself not to support a particular team. That aided it has to be said by the fact that my exit from Bath wasn't particularly pleasant. And I wrote a column about it a while ago on the 15, the, the XV thing, but I am don't need to rehash all of that. But it wasn't particularly pleasant and it wasn't very well done and it leaves you with a sour taste. And I there's lots I love about the club. There are people there that I really, really like that I would call friends, um, mates, some of them, friends, others, you know, there's a difference. Um, lots of people I don't know. It's changed almost beyond all recognition, really, which is what happens in 10 years. Um, but I... I like the teams most of all who play the best stuff, but also I, I find myself particularly attracted to teams um, who look like they love it. And Bristol less so last year, it has to be said. They were nowhere near as good last season as they were before, but for a long time they've looked like they love it and love their work. And Gloucester were quite like that last season. Chiefs have been like that for a long time. Again, last season it went off a little bit. Second half of last season, Saints looked like they're just loving life playing great stuff um yeah and that appeals to me because it is it's it is serious business because uh, it's people's jobs but it's also meant to be fun and the groups of lads that look like they can enjoy it not just smiles and bum taps like tigers i really like watching last season because they had a plan and they were so united in sticking to it they were all it's the sort of stuff that makes you proud like if you can stick to plans like they stuck to plans you you end up with a massive sense of group sort of a familial pride and that appeals to me as well so no in answer to joyce's question not really. I just love the way Bristol try and play. Um, and like every team, they just got some real good lads in the team. And these lads are not my friends. You know, we, we can be matey and that sort of stuff. And they are kind of, if I walked into a coffee shop and Joe Joyce and Callum Sheedy were in there, I'd be chuffed to bits and I'd sit because they're such good company. But I do have to remain objective. And if they're crap, I've got to say so. How did you teach yourself to, well, sorry, how difficult was it to teach yourself to be somewhat impartial slash pretty impartial it's i would say and what i'm not saying is that i'm good or bad i'm not saying i would say i am entirely impartial now really and i that's why it doesn't affect me at all if someone tells me i'm biased one way or another because i don't care it's like someone telling me i'm 10 feet tall i know i'm not so i don't care what happened i think at the start there were some uncomfortable situations which everyone probably goes through in the same situation whereby you're commentating on your friends and it is difficult. But the decision I made was, I'll have cocked it up a couple of times early on, I expect. The decision I made was, the way I always looked at it is, if 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 you are playing well and I say so, I, I will take pleasure in saying so. If you are playing poorly, I will take no pleasure in saying so, but I will still say so because it is my job. And paying my mortgage is more important than not offending you by telling you something you already know. So, you know, it's the one time, the one time I've actually said something on TV and got in the car and thought, oh, God, not I wish I hadn't said it, just like this is awkward, was when Bath got hammered coincidentally by Bristol two seasons ago at Ashton Gate. Really hammered. And they fell apart. And I just said, I just... Basically, I listed the. It's all you. You. You'd have watched it and seen the same stuff. You don't have to be a genius, but I actually did send Stuart Hooper a text for the first time ever. Not the first ever text, but the first ever text about that. And I said, just so you know, I've said all these things, 
his reply was unbelievable, lads. Like he was like, "Hello, mate. Really appreciate the text. Um, let me address your points. All six points or five points. I actually don't disagree with any of them. Um, this is what we're doing to fix some of them. The other ones are going to have to come from within." Yes, you're right. There is a personnel issue there, um, but we're working on that. But overall, mate, you never have to be worried about saying what you think. Keep being you. Um, see you on the other side. Wow. No sweat. You're like, what a legend. You know, Stuart, Stuart Hooper gets a shit. He gets a that. shit rap. Yeah, but what, what I think people I think people don't seem to know, I don't know if they know or not, is that Stuart Hooper wasn't in charge of that team for almost for a lot of last season. Mm. Most of last season. So... When the new chairman came in, um, Ed Griffiths, from what I understand, let me just put that out there, you know, allegedly of what I understand, he was absolutely had all of his decision making, uh, all of it removed. And you think to yourself, well, he's not in charge of that team. But how come he's still doing all the interviews? How come he's still pitch side if he's not in charge of that team, not picking the team, had all basic responsibility removed? Effectively, you're not DOR anymore, I am and except no one seems to know that. So who's the one who gets hammered when it keeps going wrong? I'm not mm. saying it was going brilliantly when he was in full control, mm. but from what I understand, and people, because I played at Bath, I played with Stuart Hooper for years, like, love the guy. Um, we are not in contact much at all. He had dinner at my house about six months ago. Uh, that's the first time we've had dinner together, I mean, in five years. Met him for lunch in Bath. I think when he first got the DOR job or just before that, before that maybe, that's it. That the only times we don't really get together and I think that's probably unconscious, but it's because we, you drift apart a little bit. It doesn't mean I don't love mm-hmm. the guy and I'd do anything for him, but you drift apart and you've got different jobs. And when one job is to critique the other person's job, probably you're probably not top of the list for 40th birthday guests, you know. So that sort of thing and on the Christmas invite list it doesn't there's no animosity but you're just probably not a natural fit anymore which is a shame because mm. I love the Bly and his family you know but mm. it's it's um we don't have a lot of contact um but what I what I was aware of because I know I still know a lot of people at a lot of clubs including Bath from what I understand there was a recruitment plan that I think would have made quite a difference and I think that recruitment plan was largely shelved Interesting. When Stuart Hooper was unofficially relieved of his duties. So the recruitment that happened, I don't think, was part of a plan that had been put together over time to improve things. Um, mm. Doesn't mean all the recruitment's been bad. That's not my point. My point is that I think, you know. He didn't get a fair crack of the whip. It's not, I'm, I'm not, I'm just saying, like, it. I think people don't know how little influence he had last season. I think right. people don't know. And mm. what he won't do is come out and tell everyone because basically it's not the type of I think he no, I think he's not. I think I'd struggle with that. I'd say, hang on a minute, this is what's actually happening, you lot, hammering yeah. me every day. I haven't done it, I haven't I haven't run this team for months and you're still giving me shit for it. And yeah. you know, why is he pitch side? Why is he doing the interviews? I don't know. Did he have to do it? I don't know. But it looked pretty painful to me. Yeah. Um and I I would say genuinely whether he's the right guy for that job or not, throughout the whole thing, as well as the players, as well as everyone else, I really, really felt for him. Mm. Mm. Well, he went into coaching after rugby. You went into punditry. Um, was that always the plan or not? Mm. Nah, not really. Um, not really. I, I just I started doing game, started doing punditry when I was still playing, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was lazy. I'd turn up, hungover, borrow a mate's suit, 
no real prep. And then a guy called Martin Turner, who was a uh, producer at Sky. Um, I wasn't doing it with it thinking I was going to be my career. I was doing it, you know, to earn an extra few hundred quid when I was injured at a weekend. Like, might as well. Um, easy money was why I did it, it's the truth. Started to enjoy it. And then when I didn't, I started to get bored of it quite quickly. And then this producer called Martin Turner, who's a legend in the game at Sky Sports, he fed back to my agent and said, he's lazy, doesn't do any prep. And my answer to that was, what's prep? Like, what, what, no, genuinely, like everyone knows stuff now. Didn't know stuff then. You can go, mate, you go online now and every commentator posts pictures of their notes and it's like, shit, they do that. I didn't know that. I prepped like frig to play rugby. I didn't know you prep to talk about sale Northampton and just say what you see. But it turns out there is prep. So I got in touch with a couple of other commentators and said, look, I'm not really sure what I'd be doing. And they said, well, this is what I do. This is what I do. And I'm like, shit, that's a lot of work. But I started doing it and I started loving it. And when I retired, I didn't have any commentary gigs in the bag. I didn't have contracts in the bag because I'm not a 50 cap World Cup winner. Mm. So why are they going to choose me? Like I got, when BT Sport launched, I got called in by the head of talent or whatever his position was. And they said, we love your stuff. We want you in from the start. What are you currently earning at Bath as communications director? This, don't, it's going to be a lot, don't worry, it'll be a lot more than that. And we basically went out, for my agent with lunch, went out with my agent for lunch, had a glass of wine. We still laugh about it now and toasted my new career and never heard from them again. Amazing. What, the agent or BT Sport? <laughs> no, no, BT Sport. I mean, I did lots of games for BT and still do. I love BT, but it was the, the chat was, you are going to be getting a, a lucrative four-year contract. Congratulations, this is your new career. So I was like, amazing. He never called me again. And then it happened again two years later when I was already doing the highlights show, the gig with Mark Durden-Smith and... Got, they called me in again and said, well, we would love to work with you and, you know, let's do it. Let's do this. And we walked out and I said to my agent, glass of wine? And she joked and said, we're never going to hear from him again. And we never heard from him again. No way. So it's like, it, it's always like, it was never a plan. It was never a plan. Without um, blowing smoke up your ass, and you won't allow me to anyway, Flaps, but the populist rugby fans' opinion is, whilst there are a lot of decent commentators out there, you tell the story from a player's perspective say you just said it there say what you see um why it's hard why a player has done what they've done I think it's it's unique and um you've also got one-liners to to back it up um I know you called last season I remember off the top of my head now you called someone a rabid dog and I think I was laughing for about three or four minutes after that but it's unique it is it's a it's a different perspective probably I don't I can't remember that but if I did it was probably Lewis Ludlam I think it was him. It was. <laughs> yeah, I guess like, you know, I I don't I, I I love what I do and I'm really lucky to get some big gigs and all that. And that, and also like in terms of saying what being frank about it, I get some of the gigs I get are because Ben Kay is contracted to BT Sport and I'm not. So there are certain things he can't do. Like I did Sky I did the England tour with Sky Sports to Australia in the summer. Oh my god, what a gig, lads. Unbelievable. Basically commentated on three games, did a couple of interviews during the week and just ate like a king and got on it with old mates from the rugby world. It's amazing. But, and, and prepped aggressively and did lots of work. But it's like, you know, I, I would would they have asked me if they had full access to everybody? I don't know. Maybe maybe they would, which would be great. But I'd understand if they wanted Ben, for example, because realistically he's the best. Um, and you take your chances, you know, and I love it. And I get, I get um, you know, I get a call to do this game or that game. And I get really excited about England-France or England-Wales or England-Australia or whatever. But I genuinely really enjoy commentating on... I really enjoy doing, you know, 
Worcester against Chiefs. I really enjoy doing Leicester Saris. I really enjoy league rugby, which is lucky because it's my job. But I actually, I don't know which I would choose if I had to choose between international and I don't care about how big an audience is or anything like that. Um, mm. Presuming the contract was the same and the fee was the same, not sure which I'd choose because I love them both. So I'm the same with women's rugby. Like I saw Jim Hamilton's podcast the other week and he was asking, do you think women's sport's been forced upon us? And the answer was very quickly, no, it's not. You don't have to read it or watch it. So how's it forced? Um, you're not a, you're not you're having, you're not a goose having fucking foie gras produced through your throat. Mm-hmm. Is it a goose or a duck? I don't know. You're not being force fed it. But for me, it's like, duck. this is my job. I like commentating on sport. I like telling people what I think's happening. I like dicking around when it's appropriate. I enjoy that. Um, and it's my job. So it's literally, it's almost like if you get paid a hundred quid to do commentate on men, you get a hundred quid to pay commentate on women and a hundred quid to commentate on a school game. Like lucky me, I, it's the same. It's the same contract, and lucky me, I enjoy all three. So I can just I can do all they want really. So I just I feel like I feel lucky to do a job that I love. But I also you know I'm not tarmacking the M4 in the middle of the night, but I work hard. So I I, I it's not luck. I was I was going to say on commentary uh, uh, before I know we we want to chat about life after rugby a little bit, but um, very sad news about Eddie Butler passing away um, earlier this week. Well, earlier this week or last week? But yeah, I mean, shocking. Ends. I mean, I mean, I grew up grew up listening to that bloke basically tell the story of the Six Nations for so many yeah. years. I think it, it's. Um... It, and it's a it's a contrasting passing to that of the Queen, and of course it is. But I, in one key sense, I think um, apart from the you know the notoriety of the Queen it takes it to a completely different stratosphere. But I think the Queen, the, the ceremonies and the funeral and things were incredibly touching, and the the effect it's had sort of globally is, is not astonishing, but it's extremely significant. And I think it is something that actually brings people together like sport does actually sometimes it, it's become a national communal event and of course there are people who don't aren't don't like the monarchy and they're they're not royalist and they rail against it that's fine it, people rail against lamb shoulders i'm still eating one tonight and i don't mind that my next door neighbors don't want any because they weren't invited anyway so it's it's like that's okay for not everyone to love it but it's like it's not a tragedy that the queen has died because she was so old and she was so wonderful and she's reached an amazing age and she's probably lived a better and fuller and longer life than anyone could ever really wish to lead. So it's of course sad when somebody you love from thinking of her family, Zara and Tindall, those guys, and you know, when someone you love dies or when a love member of a family of your friend dies, it is sad. Of course it's sad, but Eddie Butler dying at 65 is um, there are bigger tragedies, but for me, it's a version of a tragedy because, yes, we've lost, and his family more more pertinently have lost an amazing bloke, and we've lost an amazing bloke and journalist and contributor to our little world. But actually, he's just too bloody young to be dying, too young and fit to be dying. And anyone who dies years and years before they should, in our opinion and their opinion, it, it feels sort of, it feels just significantly more tragic. And I must say that. A genu- I, this will sound like a laugh now, and I, I mean it as a laugh, but it's also true. Uh, Tom Shanklin was actually genuinely cut up about it, and I don't really? genuinely. I've never seen him cut up about anything ever, ever since I've known him, and he is genuinely cut up about it. And I think he was a 
Eddie Butler was a significantly wonderful bloke that it's affected a huge amount of people. So it's really, really sad. Mm. I'll always, one of my mates would say Haranordaki in the Eddie Butler voice. And um, it's just, you know, the, the pronunciation oh, of those yeah, French names, we will never forget. Pe- people used to get annoyed by that. I said to someone on Twitter once, what are you doing getting annoyed by that? Fofana. I mean, of course it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's accurate. It's accurate. But it's like my my missus is um, my fiance, not my missus. I hate the term missus. My fiance is um, she speaks French, but she she does uh, she just spent a year in France on a lived in Paris and Ile de Ray and spent a year and a bit in France on a placement at uni and uh, whatever it was. So she speaks French, but then she speaks about. Ile de Ray, it's an amazing place. And she says, Ile de Ray. She speaks about Biarritz. Like, I mentioned going to visit Bolsh in Biarritz and she calls out Biarritz, de Pignon. I'm like, oh, I said to her, can we swear on it? Who can swear on this podcast? Of course you can. At dinner the other night, she started saying it with all our mates. I said, oh, fuck <laughs> off, fuck off. And you should not talk to your spouse like that. She, it was a joke. She took it as a joke. I'm like, it makes me want to vomit up my fucking food when people do that. You are from Oxfordshire. Stop talking like your friend. It's too Brilliant. much. I can't take it. But Eddie Butler, when he did it, I loved it. I loved it because it used to make me laugh. And I, it is a compliment. And I, whenever anyone says Fofana now, it's Fofana. Fofana, of course it is. Just to bring it back to life after rugby flats, um, we speak about this topic quite a bit at Loose Eds, obviously being a mental health charity. Um, the RPA did a bit of a study a few years ago and two thirds of rugby players struggle with a mental health problem post-retirement um you know it, it could be due to a lack of a plan uh, missing the changing room banter the loss of identity we talk a lot about changing the language around players not necessarily focusing on the plan b but calling that plan a um what is what would be your message to those rugby players out there that might be listening to this probably not but what, what's your message for those players marry somebody rich <laughs> that's what i'm doing <laughs> uh, <laughs> no i think um i think weirdly you know you know sometimes like companies introduce new brands and it's like oh we're gonna we're gonna write the word excellence on the wall you're like nice one it's not going to change anything i think calling it plan a is actually really really clever I, I hadn't heard that before i think that's really clever um i i think uh advice geez i mean who am i to give advice i screwed it up and i'm one of the guys that people would say you know, um, sort of, I don't know, flew into life after rugby. The reality is I spent a couple of years lost working at Bath Rugby. Like I was perfectly happy for lots of it, unhappy for towards the end. That was no one's fault. It was because I knew I was in the wrong building, doing the wrong thing. I knew I wasn't playing to my strengths. Um, but playing to my strengths would have been much easier if I had the rugby CV that Lawrence Delalio had, um, which I didn't because I wasn't good enough at the last job. And, you know, so I really... I think if I were a rugby player now, I would still make sure that I had time to do fuck all because it's important when you're an athlete to enjoy the lifestyle. But I would remind myself that um, I would try and remind myself of the fear post-retirement of the loss of identity, the fear at not having a plan and the regret at not having put time into researching what I wanted to do for longer and I, I kind of had ideas when I finished, but, it, you know, I didn't retire and walk into a rugby a broadcasting contract. You know, I, I didn't have that option. That that wasn't for me because Benny and Lowell had those contracts. Like, 
how am I going to take a contract off them? I'm not. And I, and I haven't. So there is, turns out there's plenty of food for everybody, but it's, it's, um, flats. What, 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 what ideas did you have? Um, if you can remember that far back, more broadcasting, I wanted to do more broadcasting, um, because I really like it. And I don't have like one of the lads texted me last week and said, do you want to go on, um, celebrity, <clears throat> the chase, a celebrity pointless. And I'm like, nah, I'm all right. Oh no, you, you, you know, you, whatever you get a few quid for it. Nah, I'm all right. And then I realized that you go on in pairs. I don't, I don't watch it. You go on in pairs. So if I don't go on, he can't go on. So I said, look, if it means you can go on, I'll go on and I'll enjoy it and it'll be great. But I don't know what this thing is. Um, <clears throat> I don't have a desire to be famous. Like uh, pe- my kids, cause I'm on telly, they think I'm, you know, Barack Obama, right? So it's like, <laughs> they can't believe him on telly still. I mean, they're, they're, they're 35 and 37. They should have learned by now. But, um, it, if they say to me, daddy, are, you know, are you going to go on strictly? It's like, of course, no one's going to ever ask me to go on strictly, but if I got asked, I, there's, there makes no sense for me to go on there because if I don't have a desire to be known by everybody, like I don't have a desire to be famous. Um, so I have a desire to broadcast, which I really like. So it's almost like if someone said, do you want to go on the one show and talk about, I don't know, fucking dairy cows in Herefordshire? Yeah. Or different grass farming systems or ride on mowers or barbecues. Yeah, mate, I'll do that. I'll go on Country File. But I would do it because I loved it and I wouldn't have a clue what the viewership was. And that is how I try and you can't do it always because you need to work. Frankly, you need to work for cash sometimes. But I try and do stuff that I really like. So after a couple of years working at Bath Rugby, that was fine. It was, I, you know, great people and it was, it was mainly really good. I thought what I'm going to do is I'm going to quit and I'm going to try and do stuff that I like for as many days of the week as possible. And now and again, I'm going to have to do stuff I don't like for cash, but I'm lucky to have the opportunity. And now I would say there is very, very little, I'm not being smug about it. I still, it still feels like work a lot of the time. But there's very little that I do that I actually, very, very little, if anything, that I actively resent. And I think that probably places me above half the national workforce because people don't like doing what they're doing. And I'm lucky to do stuff that, at worst, I quite enjoy. So, uh, but I've I've grafted to make that happen. And I've given, in effect, given money away, in, in effect, because I've just said, I just don't want to do that. And I know I get paid, but I just don't want to do that. Um, so, you know... Everyone takes different approaches, but I know that I could have 50 million quid in the bank. And if I had to do something I didn't like three days a week for 50 million quid, it'd break me. It would break me because I can't do it. So rugby conditioned me and will condition a lot of other lads to work very hard at something they love and not have to do anything they don't want to do, which was me. So I'm not very good at doing shit I don't want to do. I'm really, really good at doing stuff I enjoy. So let's try and find loads of that. Nice. Very nice. Um, Obviously, we talk about rugby camaraderie. Um, You were speaking about this on the the podcast you just did with Jim Hamilton, um, about why rugby is the best sport. Um, Why is rugby the best sport? Why do we fucking love it? Why do we gnaws off about it all the time? Did I say it was the best sport? Are you putting words in my mouth? I'm trying to, but I think because it's what Rob's written down here. But um, I think I think you said it was a really good sport. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, I think I think uh, yeah, exactly. You're full of shit. <laughs> um, I I think I I, I mean, firstly, 
I feel the benefits of rugby particularly because I know it so well and I played it and it's been part of my life since you know since, for, since I was eight years old. So it, we're, I'm completely biased towards it. I have nothing like a depth of knowledge about any other sports, of course. But I think there's something about the physical nature of rugby where it's something which ultimately requires courage and it means courage, uh, but also a, a communal a sort of a, a communal understanding of risk, and we're taking a risk together. And it's not like we're taking a risk by we're all going to try and you know do a somersault off the side of a dinghy into the water. It's not like lads. It's a real risk. It's a physical risk um, and um, a risk of actually getting properly hurt. But then when you get through that together it elevates your friendship, it elevates your bond a bit, augments your bond, I think. But also rugby at whatever level can be very, very, very physically difficult. And like I look at it and think, is it more physically difficult than professional cycling? Uh, probably not, actually. Professional rowing? Probably not. Professional boxing? I'd say all three of those sports are physically harder than rugby. Less rest, more merciless, more relentless. Um, but what I would say is that you have other people around you at to physically help you through. So in, in it's like that in cycling, but ultimately you're not in physical contact. There's something about grabbing other people's bodies and helping them and physically supporting them that I think sets rugby apart. It doesn't make it better, it sets it apart. And I think going to really, really horrible places together physically and mentally in sport and coming through them with each other, coming going in together and coming out together, I think creates a bond, which is very real. I mean, you know, People who play rugby for long periods of time very, very seldom don't have lots of very close friends or a number of very close friends from rugby who could be friends for life. And that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to other sports. It's just the physical nature of rugby and the physical risk, I think, brings people together in a a, a sort of a, a far diluted version of, I guess, what it's like to be in the military, where, of course, the risks are exponentially more significant. Um, next section is our is actually one sponsored uh, and as Sam James has come up with this section, by the way, um, the sales shark center. Mm. Um, it's his okay. pensive pre pod poo thought. It's a hell of a mouthful, by the way. And this is a, this is a thought he's come up with. Um, and he'd like to ask you a question. I think you should call it the pensive pre pod pondering for the alliteration purposes. I like that. Oh, there you go. Oh, we need to rethink this. I was with Sam at the weekend and he absolutely loves this section, but I think we need to rename it now. If you could choose any animal to be your best friend, what would you choose and why? Um, I don't want to say dog because it's so unoriginal, but they're just the right size, aren't they? Um, I think it's nice, nice idea to have a best mate who's like a horse or a bear or a tiger. But I want my best mate to come to the co-op and I'm not taking a tiger to the co-op because <laughs> it's too big and it's got... And it's it's not going to fit. It's going to get in everyone's way in the aisles. And I don't want to tie it up outside. Like I'm allergic to horses. Uh, doesn't help. Um, a caribou. Um, I quite like because of their bigness. I quite like bison. Actually, I love bison. They're they're really? good. I like bison. Can't quite uh, you want to take that to the co-op? But my friend had a bull called Hurricane. They're too big. They're too big. They're too big. Like I've got. Okay, if I had any choice of anything, I would have a big. White English Bull Terrier, also called Dave. <laughs> yeah, like that's that. what I'd have. Like that. Really like that. I'm going for a walk tomorrow with a big English Bull Terrier called Hank. No, sorry, called Tank. I mean, I was, I was like, that's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Brilliant. 
I Brilliant. love them, mate. My, my friend just got one and called called him Egg because of the shape of his head. <laughs> I love him. Uh, uh, Sam also had a rugby related one, which was which Tuolangi brother would you want on your team? Shit, Henry, mate. Really? Because he's like every other Tuolangi. He's the same, he's like if Alisana Tuolangi swallowed Manu, you've got Henry. I, I do you know. I often say about Henry. Um, no, it's not true. If people say, I'll give you World 15, every now and again, people say you're World 15. Who's at number eight? Oh, it's Zinzan. Oh, it's Dino. He, you know, it's like, and my Eliotta uh, Fuamano Sapulu, so Samoan, who played at Bath and Gloucester, um, who, you know, I don't, I don't see him anymore because he lives, back, he lives uh, back down south. But, you know, I really, he's an outspoken dude, but I must say, I'd, I'd, I really loved him and loved his company. And he said to me on Twitter once, why is no one picking Henry Tuolangi in their World 15s? I'm like, oh my God, it is complete. That is the best point. I've never forgotten it. And I'm like, who would I least like to play against that I've ever played against in any position? And it is Henry Tuolangi. No, it's not. He's number two behind Jason Robinson. (laughs) But physically, it's Henry Tuolangi. Because there there is just so little you can do when someone is that powerful, develops that much power and they have that much aggression, that much coordination and that much skill. There is only so much you can do. So if he is on one, it's a bit like Michael Jordan. If he is on one, everybody's fucked. That's There's a new one coming through as well. A younger Tuolangi. Yeah, and his his yeah. son, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Yeah. 149 yeah, ridiculous. kilos. Ridiculous. <laughs> that is a joke. It's, it's getting great, dangerous. Great. And my car weighs less than that. You look... <laughs> Uh, you you love uh, you love cooking. Um, have you ever thought about Bake Off? No, I don't like baking. Um, but um, I do I do watch Bake Off a bit. I mainly because the girls watch it and stuff. Like watch everyone in their house, everyone else in my house is female, um, so they will watch it. But Noel Fielding is one of my absolute favourites, um, and I often think that um, I'm I'm a heterosexual man. Um, but I often think that if I wasn't and I had to be in a relationship with a man, it didn't have to be, but I say I had to be, that's this part of the game. I'm not like, I don't, I'm not physically, but I think I could spend, I could spend every day for the next 40 years with Noel Fielding. So we might not, we might not sleep in the same bed. Cause that's, that ain't my thing, but he can, if he wants, I've slept in bed with all my mates. He can, if he wants, but I think I could spend extended periods of time with Noel Fielding because I just, every single thing he does, says, thinks, wears, sings, like, I'm like that. I wish I'd thought of that. Wish I'd done that. I love him. That's amazing. <laughs> a, a pathetic one from me. Um, my, I live with three lads and one of the lads that I live with um during lockdown he's just moved in with us and during lockdown he set up a food instagram so to take the piss the other lads in the house we've all set up a similar looking instagram account mine is called sizzle with shots very original and um it's basically how not to cook and it's proper shit but it's a bit of a laugh and we have a we have a good laugh with it um we are asking each guest that comes on flats to um, do a challenge throughout the season at at any point. And my sizzle with shots signature move is sizzle, sizzle like this with the hands. So I'm wondering if 
at any point throughout the season when you're you know commentating whether it's commentating and you use the word sizzle sizzle or it's you know when you when you when you're in the studio and you and you're doing um you know basically get get your fingers out and say sizzle sizzle can can we get you to do that in honor of the loose heads podcast um yeah now yeah you can now um you have to remind me though because i forget I forget that, but if you every periodically, if you remind me going into a rugby weekend, then if I can get it in, I'll do it. Um, I have been rumbled a couple of times doing playing games during commentary. One was in the 2015 World Cup when I was a rookie. I was a no rookie. Way. Right? I hadn't done many games. I'm not long retired. Oh my god! And I was doing either it was England Australia. I think it was England Australia at Twickenham, like big game, millions and millions of viewers, right? And my dad was like, right, I've got a word. You've got to get a word in. I'll give you a word. I'm like, oh, mate, it's my job. You can't. He's like, obsequious. You've got to get it in. <laughs> I got it in. I got it in. Um, I got it in quite early. The hooker, the... the um, <laughs> The Australian hooker. Uh, I've forgotten his name now. I'm He's got 100 caps. I've completely forgotten his name. He's a legend. Anyway, he was playing. Oh, um, and he was saying to the ref. Stephen uh, Moore. Bloody with him. The other week, Stephen Moore. Yeah, what a lovely man as well. So I was with a really nice guy. So they're all nice guys, aren't they? So... He, um, I said, oh, he's being a bit obsequious with the referee. He's just, you know, he wants to, he's just trying to get him on side. And like, I feel straight away, see my phone in front of me, I'm commentating my phone. My dad's like, legend, you know, well done, mate. And it, but then it's, then I did get done, I got done once. One of the producers said to me, it wasn't a drinking game, was it? Basically, I, when you <laughs> oh commentate on France, not now, but then, you weren't allowed to say, you never know what French team's going to turn up because that's what everyone always says. It's just a cliche. <laughs> I said it three times in one game during that World Cup. And it was like, in the end, I think even Nick Mullins, was that, who's like the doyen, was just next to me like, could you stop? Could you please stop? Um, but afterwards, one of the producers said, mate, you kept, you're getting hammered on Twitter for it. I said, yeah, I know, I know. Was it, because was it a challenge or a drinking game? I said, yeah, my brother-in-law's here on his stag in the stadium. <laughs> and basically, he's getting texted from home. And every time... Every time I say it, he's got a chop one. So he's a rubbish drinker. So anyway, that that was unprofessional. And I would never do that again. Amazing. No, we're not asking you to be unprofessional. Uh, to give you context, you know, Jamal for Robertson does a shearer after, when he scores or gets gets a penalty. Uh, he does that the shearer celebration where he's yeah. going to change that to do the John Cena, you can't see me um, next, which we thought was actually um, pretty good given he's uh, <laughs> he's big into his wrestling. That's good. Yeah. Just before we wrap up, I just have one one final question for you, Flats. Um, obviously, we have a bit of a, a laugh with this podcast, um, but we need to remain true to what Lou said is all about. Um, you know, mental health charity. We promote mental health, mental fitness, um, and we and we talk about certain topics um, which are quite tough to talk about. One of the things that we're asking all guests that come onto this podcast is that if you had a friend that was struggling right now in silence and they were listening to this episode, what would be your message to them? I think um, people take solace in different things. I think remembering that lots of people that you've come across in the last week or month are also struggling and you don't know. I also think that for the, I don't know the stats, you might know them shots, but the vast majority of people will feel better once they've told someone how shit they feel. Um, is the other thing and I think it is just now completely okay to it's not not only is it completely okay it's not like it's something that has to be forgiven it's now completely commonplace for people to feel shit and that is unfortunate 
but it's always been that way. It's always, people have always felt shit, but it's not always been that way because you had to conceal it. And people conceal these things for different reasons. They, some people don't want to talk about it and that's absolutely fine. But I think it is worth noting that I doubt there are many experts that would advise keeping it all to yourself. So find someone you can talk to about it. And if that's a friend, great. If it's just plucking up the courage to send a text, because what what you want is your friend to reach out to you and say, are you okay? But are you really okay? I'm going to come and see you, which is great. But what if your friends don't know? A mate of mine was on Instagram yesterday and he'd been off for a while. And he said, a friend of mine out of nowhere has taken his own life out of absolutely nowhere. We never knew. He's my best man. Never, ever knew. So what if your friends don't know? So there is an onus on friends to help. But if they don't know, maybe it's the best thing is plucking up the courage to send a WhatsApp, one WhatsApp to one person and say, any chance you've got time for a chat this week? That's it. You've got 10 minutes this week for a chat. Yeah. That's it. And I, they're the sort of little, the little things to you or me that are massive challenges to someone else that might completely change their life. And I just think the first person you tell... that you're feeling shit will be the most important person you tell that you're feeling shit because you will get more and more comfortable with telling people when things aren't all right. And then more and more help becomes available, more and more support. So I think if you're feeling shit, I think keeping it to yourself, this is, I've got no psychological qualifications whatsoever. It's probably a shit idea. So if you had a bad leg, you wouldn't tell nobody about it. If you broke your arm, you wouldn't keep it to yourself. You know, your mind is in pain, your mind is injured. So tell someone and these things are fixable. Nice. Totally. Uh, I did the same actually the other week um, with Samla. Incidentally, sent him a text. was feeling shit for a couple of weeks and um, he took me to London Irish versus Worcester for a full days of nausing. First game of the season. I was like, yeah. That is a good a good mate there. We, we're not even Irish or Worcester fans, but we found the nearest game. Even better, but I mean, Sam, Sam is a that's a that's a blip for him because he's normally a shit guy. But um, but I think that you know I've I've got friends that I'll tell you now will never ever have mental health issues. Never they haven't they haven't got it in them. It's just not there. But I got you know I got divorced a few years ago, and I've got the loveliest divorce in the history of divorces, and I love my ex wife and. We, it's not perfect, but we try really hard to take care of each other. And, you know, we're nice to each other. And, you know, she can borrow my car if she needs it. And I can, I've got a key to her house if I need to grab something. It's all chill, you know, and it's all really supportive and nice, but it's still really, really hard. And I had a couple of mates who actually piled in and I was largely all right, really, but they wouldn't leave me alone. And what I found was through that time, I know I've, that was when I really discovered the happiness I extract from being around my friends like I get really I don't have to be on the piss I have to be doing anything crazy I am I love being on my own but I I love it but I love being only love being on my own if I've had enough time with people that I really love so I absolutely need both and I try and carve out as much time as I can for both around work and real life and that sort of stuff um because it really really helps me and I probably didn't realize how much help I needed at that point because it was such a nice divorce everyone's being nice to everyone he's all right he's fine let's get him out on the pool and it was like mate I was so far away from that I can't tell you so far away from that a million miles away from that and sitting on my own you know three weeks in to being separated I'm sitting on my own in a one in a little two-bed flat I've got standards a two-bed flat up the road and my kids aren't in bed next door. My kids aren't in bed in my house. You know, like I'm 
they, my kids are in a different building and they'll wake up in a different building and I won't see them for two days. And luckily I was able to text my ex-wife and say, I hate, this is, I'm struggling. She's like, right, they're on their way or come over, come for dinner. That's it was amazing. all fine. So luckily I had that, but I had friends that I, I look back and my friends actually intervened. What they really did was intervene and impose themselves on me and completely, you know, save me probably. That's a really nice way to end the podcast flats. Um, thank you because uh and your, your ex-wife sounds sounds great by the way well she's not that great she's not that great <laughs> no she's not that great when where we used to live right when 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 you know when when i uh, i was you know before i had to give up you know all, all of or any money i'd ever earned it's not wasn't quite like that but we had two robot mowers because we had two little lawns and you couldn't have one because of a driveway so two little like two so i said the other week look the time has come it's four years now i finally got a lawn Oh, can I have the smaller of the robot mowers? And she's like, basically, no, unless you buy me a replacement mower. So I'm now, I've had to buy her, I'm buying my ex-wife mowers just because I'm taking my taking custody. We don't even have a custody agreement for our children. I'm taking custody of one of the mowers to which I'm entitled and I'm buying replacement bloody mowers. So she ain't all good, lads. <laughs> wow. Um, robot mowers, I like that. I might need, might need one for my garden. Um, last thing, Flats, because we've kept you for far too long. Um, we would like you to give a question, say a question for the next guest. Um, they won't know, obviously, uh, but one question you've got for the next guest. And the next guest will be somebody in the New Zealand Women's Rugby World Cup camp as well. Okay. Um, I'd like to know what their ultimate weekend is out of season. The reason I ask is I used, when I worked at Bath, I used to interview people for jobs every now and again and give people, it was mad that I had that power, but I was like, I don't want him, don't want him, I like him. And I had one bloke who I quite liked and um, really bright and whatever. And I was like, he's, he's quite good. He could be fun. And then I was like, give me your ultimate weekend. And he's like, oh, oh if I got a chance, I'd probably give my girlfriend and I give our flat a real deep clean, really get into the carpets and really just eat really clean and plan our meals and all that. And I was like, oh, I can't really relate to that. And the next guy I had him was called Baz. He's still a good mate of mine now. He ended up going from Bath to the WIU. Now he works for Six Nations. He's like, oh, well, I had that last weekend. And what'd you do? He goes, oh, mate, we came to Bath, actually. Oh, mate, me and the lads, absolutely mortaled. Is <laughs> <laughs> that right? You're in. Job. Yeah, he got the job straight away. I said, he's in, mate. You're in. Uh, oh, brilliant. Uh, we will ask that question to, to the next guest. Um, Flats, thank you so much for coming on and giving us an hour of your time. Really appreciate it for the Loosehead community and um, and uh, oh. we uh, we get the message out there. Cheers, guys. <laughs>